Pray with me. Purify our conscience, almighty God, by your daily visitation, that your son Jesus Christ at his coming may find in us a mansion prepared for himself, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. I speak to you now in the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, good morning. It's good to be back with so many of the Lord's faithful. And to our guest, welcome to Holy Trinity Anglican Church. We are delighted that you have decided to worship with us here this morning. And the prayer of our rector, Father Joe Boisel, is that you would grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And I hope that you find Holy Trinity a good place to do just that. And now that we've got some of the housekeeping stuff out of the way, it's time for the word of God. Did you see what I did there? <laughs> I used the word housekeeping to describe the welcome. Did you catch it? I can tell by the blank looks on many of your faces that it went over just as well as a bad dad joke. I don't know if that means that I'm getting old or I'm just simply not funny anymore. No matter, no matter how often, how horrible my attempt at humor was this morning, it was at least relevant. Our collect, the Old Testament lesson, and the gospel, all in some way, shape, or form, have to do with preparing a home that is fit for our Lord. Now, how do you go about this? Growing up, I had to prepare my house oftentimes for company. It was quite the chore in the McElrath household. I'm not sure if, I, if the labor laws applied back then, but if they did, I'm sure my mom had me break each and every one of them. I didn't have an evil stepmother like Cinderella, but my mother made sure that if there ever was a cheer-off between me and that Disney princess, I would put her to shame. Our house was spotless all the time, and it had to be because we never knew when company was coming. And not only were these chores to be done, uh, but there was also special food made uh, for the company, and that was off-limits. Uh, most notably for me, I have a 500-pound fat kid inside of me, so most notable for me was the cake, of course. Uh, and it was perpetually saved in this cake saver that was off-limits. Why, you ask? Well, it was for company, the would-be guest of the McElrath Manor. And this was uh, before there was any form of instant communication. Uh, there was no threat of net neutrality. Uh, the Internet was young. Uh, but it was slow, and the only internet option was dial-up, which meant it was probably faster to walk to your friend's house and tell them a message than it was to send them an email. You couldn't just call anyone either, because if you called, you would, you would risk ruining the internet connection. And there was no such thing as smartphones growing up. Uh, the only thing that we had to resemble any kind of phone was a small boulder-looking thing that you held up to your ear and rang from time to time. And this was far before text message was born. All of this meant that company often just showed up without warning, which my parents didn't mind. But for me, I, I mind quite a bit because that meant that I was constantly cleaning, constantly uh, preparing for the guests who may or may not arrive that day. 
I was either cleaning, preparing for the guests, or cleaning up after they left. I had no hobbies. There was no such thing as a social life in the McElrath household. There was only one thing to do growing up, and that was to prepare for the possibility of company, which meant, as you guessed it, cleaning, perpetual cleaning, constant cleaning. I hope you get the fact that I had to clean quite a lot as a child. <laughs> I'm so glad my mom's not here. <laughs> and don't no, nobody tell her either, nobody. <laughs> While this may or may not be an overdramatic description of my early childhood, I've learned some very important lessons along the way. When someone wants to come over, it's a big deal, and preparations should be made. That and that baseboards properly should be cleaned with a toothbrush. But back to the sermon. <laughs> From the very beginning, God's desire was to dwell with men, to dwell with those who he created. God's desire was more than to be in close proximity. He wanted to be in relationship with us. In fact, some theologians have argued that the one, reason, one of the reasons that God created us, God created man, was simply to share himself with him. His essence, his being, his very nature. God wanting to share himself with someone else. Scripture tells us that God in the Garden of Eden walked with Adam in the cool of the day. This is in Genesis 3 and 8. They were close in a real relationship. And yet when Adam sinned, the first thing he did was hide from God. Proof that no matter how casual our culture makes sin, it really does hinder the relationship we have with our Lord. We see the extent of this separation as Adam is exiled from the garden and ultimately from the presence of God. And yet God remains faithful. Throughout the meta-narrative of scripture, we see God pursuing man. We see his desire to dwell with his people once again. But sin has sorely damaged this relationship, and God is too holy to ignore it and act like it doesn't exist. So God orders worship, and he sets boundaries to safeguard our relationship with him. These boundaries preserve not only his integrity and the integrity of the relationship, but also it protects us from his wrath and also protecting his holiness. In our Old Testament lesson, we hear the story of King David, a man after God's own heart, who more than anything wanted to mend that fractured relationship we had with God. He was tired of the transient relationship we had with God, and he wanted to God to dwell with his people yet again, this time in a more permanent way. So David set out to build a home for the Lord. And listen to what he says in verse 2. See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God, the place of God's glory, dwells in a tent. For David, this could no longer be true. He set out to remedy this. Listen to what God says in verse 5. Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day that I brought the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. 
David is like, yes, Lord, yes, this is what I want to do for you. You've been good to me and to my people. I want to do this for you. I want to build you a house. God is like, wow, I'm honored. But David, I'm also holy. You're a warrior and your hands are stained with blood. God is like, David, I'll tell you what. Here's what we'll do. I'll give you a son and I'll make him the wisest man that ever lived. And I will let him build me a house. So David, much like my mother, enlisted his son, Solomon, to do to not only do the work of building the Lord's house, but more importantly, to go about the business of preparing that house for such company, for the presence of the Lord. This isn't, this isn't part of my sermon, but I thought there would be children here, but uh, if there were, as the youth director, this is the part where I would say, and talk, I would talk to the children and say, even though the chores seem endless, there's hope. Isn't it just like our parents to invite people over to our house and to make us do all the work, get the house ready for, to receive them? And I'm sorry, but this is the part that really, where the sermon really applies to me. This is where I really feel as if God is talking to me. This part right here where the son is doing all the work. Again, I'm kind of having flashbacks from my childhood. I'm up here uh, smelling bleach and pine saw, and, and, and I'm really going through, I'm telling you. My mom was a, was a taskmaster, I'm telling you. <laughs> but anyway, back to the, to the message. I won't go on and list the, the, long, the long list of things that Solomon had to do uh, to get that Lord's house ready. If you're interested in reading them, I invite you to read First Kings chapters 5 and 6, and Second Second Chronicles, chapters 2 through 7, 10. And while I won't do this, I will say that there is a lot to be done to get the house of the Lord ready for his presence. And like my, mo- like my mother, God was very detailed. He paid attention to detail, and his standards was nothing, were nothing less than perfection, which meant there was a lot of effort that went into getting the Lord's house ready. So Solomon built the temple. God finally had a home, right? Well, yes and no. While God had a permanent place for his glory to dwell, the relationship between God and man was still fractured. There was something still lingering, the glaring issue of sin. There was not only sin, but it does... it, it doesn't seem as if God, it, there wasn't only sin, but it also doesn't seem as if God was satisfied with the people's church attendance. He didn't seem happy with some semi-regular and irregular visitation. He wanted more. He wanted a closer relationship with his people. And like a bridegroom who misses his bride, he simply wanted to be where they were. He wanted to be with his people all the time in a permanent way. So God in his wisdom enacts a plan of salvation by which he can completely remove the barrier between him and his people known as sin. The separation between God and and his creation. Enter Jesus Christ. Both the hymn we sang this morning 
known as the Magnificat, and our gospel depicts Mary's preparation to receive such a house guest in her own home. And not only would this house guest dwell in her home, but this house guest would also dwell, more importantly, in her womb. Like Solomon, Mary was tasked with housing the glory of God. Only this time, it was going to be in the form of a baby rather than the ark. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, verse 30. Luke chapter 1, verse 30. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a, ch- and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? Verse 35, And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this in the sixth month with her, who was called barren, for nothing is impossible with God. And this is the important part. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. And the angel of the Lord departed from her. Mary saved the world by saying yes. Her yes enabled Jesus Christ to be born for his plan of for the God's plan of salvation to be enacted Mary's yes to quote from St John added to this the word became flesh and dwelt among us Mary's yes made this word true and alive the miracle the miracle of christmas is to be found in the person of Jesus Christ, who came to destroy the works of the devil, who came to repair the relationship between God and man. For many of us, this is nothing new. You've heard this story before as you matriculated through Sunday school. You've seen the Christmas specials on TV, and you've heard this sermon before, right? Except in this sermon... Mary isn't the only one who is being asked to prepare a place for the Lord. You see, by dying on the cross, Christ invites himself not only into our wombs, but into our hearts. If the seed of faith is alive within you, St. Paul informs us that we have a house guest living inside of us in the person of the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of Christ. 
Christ is alive in us. Listen to what St. Paul says. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. So glorify God in your bodies. You see, my friends, Jesus Christ is the revelation. He is the mystery that has been kept secret for years and ages, but has been disclosed through the prophetic writings and is made known, and it is Jesus Christ who has been made known through all, to all nations according to the eternal command of God to bring about obedience of faith. You see, it's time that we clean up our lives. It's time that we do some internal housekeeping and get rid of the sin so that we can get ready to receive Christ in his fullness. And so maybe you're like me, who you've been busied by the festivities that will take place tomorrow. Maybe you've been rushing around and you failed to do the proper preparations for today in hopes that you might be ready for tomorrow. I invite you to slow down to come to this altar, to receive communion, to receive communion, and to make in your heart preparation for the Lord. So that at his coming, you, he, Christ may find in us a home, a mansion prepared for himself. The, the good news of Christmas is that Christmas isn't quite here yet, and we've still got time to do the internal work, to prepare our hearts, to prepare our lives for Christ. We've still got time to do some last-minute cleaning. But my friends, do it quickly. For the Lord, our Savior, draws nigh. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.